Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. How are we doing? You okay? Are you all too warm? Are you now too cool? You're okay now. Good. Okay. Great. So today we start our new series looking at the vineyard values. If you were here last week, you would have heard us talk about our journey in our connection with the vineyard movement. Um, you may or may not know that this church has been independent since 1925, 1927, it was first planted. It was affiliated to the uh, uh, independent evangelical churches, sort of loosely linked with those guys. But essentially it's been an independent church all its life. And uh, a number of years ago there was a growing sense that for the church to grow and mature it needed to be connected to a larger family. So when we arrived a couple of years ago, um, we kind of brought with us... Um, unknowingly, a vineyard connection that, uh, that we feel now as leaders and wider leaders that it's good to, to kind of journey with and connect with. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the vineyard and see where the synergies, see where the correlation is in terms of values. Um, so we're going to start today looking at um, what is the vineyard. And I'm going to show unashamedly a very old piece of footage by a man called John Wimber, which we'll come to in a moment, but, um, but we'll come to that in a second. Um, but over the next six weeks, we'll look at some of the distinctives. The Vineyard recently has produced these little booklets that kind of try and encapsulate what, what is Vineyard, what, what, is, what is unique or distinctive about the Vineyard movement. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of these distinctives. But um, I thought I'd put up the first... Just John Wright said this recently. He's the national director of the Vineyard, and he, he said these words. He said, We are a tribe within the people of God. The Vineyard is not something that we join, as in joining an organisation... It is a community to which we belong because the Holy Spirit has placed us here. It is held together firstly by a spiritual and relational bond and secondly by a recognition of spiritual authority rather than purely by organisational structure. The vineyard is often described as a family with a purpose. It's a kind of a relational network of people who are passionate about extending the kingdom of God and seeing people transformed by encountering the love of Jesus. And so... I don't know what your experience of church movements or church denominations is, but um, hopefully over the next six weeks we can paint a clear picture for you of what the vineyard is like and what it's like to be part of the vineyard family. But essentially, a tribe is a good way of describing it. A a group of people who have the same sort of values and goals and are passionate about extending the kingdom. And we've got a strong sense that Riverside kind of fits within that family. We kind of, there's a synergy, a connection, a correlation between where we're going and what the vineyard is doing. So hopefully, over the next six weeks, we can journey together uh, along this path. So we'll be looking at uh, worship. We're looking at the kingdom of God. We'll be looking at everyone gets to play, which was Wimber's passion about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. Uh, Come Holy Spirit, that sense of expectation when we meet, that God wants to come and meet with us. And then remembering the poor, the sense that the vineyard has a strong, strong heart for compassion and helping the vulnerable and the needy. So how did the vineyard begin? Well, it all started way back in 1974 with this guy. Natty picture, eh? That's a guy called Ken Gullickson. Uh, He planted a church in Hollywood in California in 1974. He was a soft-spoken, unassuming leader with a passion to know God and to encounter God's presence. And he started a church in Hollywood. 
1975, uh, God spoke to him about calling that church a vineyard. And uh, it seems God inspired him out of uh, Isaiah 27, verse 2 and 3, which says, Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it and water it continually. And he felt the word vineyard symbolized a place of God's blessing, uh, God's presence, God's encounter. And so essentially the first vineyard church was born back in 1975. By the early 1980s, there were a number of vineyard churches that had grown, and Ken felt that he should hand over the leadership of the church to this man, John Wimber. John Wimber you'll hear from in a second uh, in terms of his testimony. But uh, John's influence uh, and and theology had a massive impact uh, on the vineyard in terms of healing ministry and uh, power evangelism and expectation that God would come and move and do things. When John first encountered Jesus, this is what he said about himself. I was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who was converted at the age of 29 while chain-smoking my way through a Quaker-led Bible study. (laughs) One of my first experiences as a Christian was hearing John's testimony, driving along in my mini-metro, those are the days, (laughs) with a tape cassette. Let's just explain, guys, it's a small piece of plastic. (laughs) And inside... As a little loop of things that go around and make noises. Okay? So, tape cassettes, listening to Wimber's testimony. Uh, and it just, I've probably been a believer about two or three months, and it just gripped me. Because here was a man who was, com- who was so unreligious in his background, so seemingly far away from God, yet had this incredibly powerful encounter an authentic encounter with Jesus. And I just remember forming this affinity with John, uh, driving in the rain, uh, listening to this tape. I just felt, this is a man I can connect with. This is a man I can trust. This is a man uh, who kind of is speaking to me. Uh, And so I want to play you John's testimony. I didn't think it was available, but I found it on YouTube. Uh, He gave his testimony uh, at a healing conference back in 1984. So I've kind of mashed up a a few bits of it and I'm going to play. It is 20 minutes, but I want you to sit back and enjoy and listen uh, to the man that is John Wimber. It was filmed back in 1984. Not even sure what technology they had back then to film things, but they did film it. And um, <laughs> it was... So you have to excuse the video quality, but the audio quality is fine. So dim the lights down, guys, and let's watch John for a few minutes. I was uh, a typical pagan coming from the pagan pool in America. There are approximately 90 million people here that do not have a church relationship of any sort. As I examined my history and background and dialogued with my family members, I discovered that uh, no one in my family for four generations had had any kind of church affiliation. Although we'd been raised largely in the Bible Belt in Missouri and Kentucky, we had uh, become a gospel-hardened people a people that knew about the claims of Christ but had no intention of obeying and or relating to them in terms of a personal relationship. By the time I came along, we were no longer talking about it within the context of the family. And so I grew up without any personal relationship with Christ and any uh, first-hand information concerning his claims or his uh, uh, person and what he had done. The first time that I met a Christian, and somebody asked me one time, they were challenging me on this point, they said, you mean you grew up in in America 
And you never met a Christian. And I said, well, if I did, he didn't blow his cover in my presence. <laughs> the first time that I remember meeting a Christian was a, when a friend of mine, who will be playing drums here tonight when we have another worship service, came to see me in Las Vegas and on the way stopped and bought a fifth of gin. <laughs> that was his wife laughing. And they bought a fifth of gin because they knew I liked gin and they bought this gin and drank it on the way to Las Vegas because it got very cold and arrived rather inebriated, drunk for those of you in the front row. And we went out and had an evening together and uh, uh, the next day they were both very, very chagrined. And we didn't understand why they were so embarrassed. Well, the truth was they were brand new Christians and they had come on this pilgrimage of preaching Christ to us. <laughs> and along the way had been inundated. I'm not sure that they've had a drink since in the last 20 years. And so instead of sharing us with us the message of Christ, they shared a message of embarrassment. But a few weeks later, they made it good. We'd come back home by then, and uh, Dick came over one day and sat down with me and told me that he'd become a Christian. And I said, what's that? Isn't everybody in America a Christian? And he said, no. He said, I'm a born-again Christian. And we, then we began having the dialogue of Nicodemus, Nicodemus and Jesus. And I said, what do you mean, born again? Do you have to enter your mother's womb? And he said, no, 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 it's not a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. You have to have a second birth. You have to be born again spiritually. Well, I didn't understand what he meant, and, and we talked for an hour or so, and then we went off into other subjects. But over the next few weeks and months, Dick came by regularly and shared with us. My wife and I had already gone through a, a, a process in which we were hungry for God. We had uh, purchased a Bible uh, just a few months before that and began reading it. But before I develop that story, I don't want to get ahead of myself, we had uh, also gone through a long and difficult time in our marriage, and we were really very ripe and harvestable people, but we were so limited in our understanding. We didn't know the first thing about Christianity. Some months before this occasion in which Dick came, I, I had gone to Las Vegas to work with one of the groups that I was working with at the time. I was a, uh, at that time I had a show group, but I was also developing uh, a rock and roll group called the Righteous Brothers. And while I was there um, uh, in Las Vegas, I went through an experience. My wife and I had been separated for a few months, and I went through an experience that, uh, that, that began, uh, for me, marked the beginning of my spiritual trek towards Christ. Uh, what had happened was that I had, uh, in the heartbreak of separation and all the pain and agony that goes with that, I had uh, been seeking God in my own way. Now, it's difficult when the only people you know are musicians and druggies and alcoholics and bartenders and waitresses. And I mean, that's the only people I could have dialogue. That's who I was getting my marriage counseling from. You can imagine how good it was. And I was having dialogue with them about religion. And they were saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm into religion. And, and we talked about all kinds of diverse religions. One guy recommended that the best thing I could do is when I got off work, and by the way, I worked a late night shift, and that was a, a kind of a prestigious thing to do in Las Vegas. The later you work, the more important your musical group was because that kept people up. And uh, I would get off at 4 in the morning, and I began driving out into the desert, 
and watching the sun come up because someone told me that that was a good way to, to groove on a religious experience. And so I had done that a couple times, you know, sat out there and watched the sun come up. And uh, nothing happened, you know, I, nothing special anyway. But this one day, I was driving out there in the morning, and as I was driving, I began reflecting on where things were in my life. I was, everything was a mess. My relationship with my wife was not good, and my kids, and, and everything was a mess, you know. My career was zooming. I was doing well in that area, but I was an unhappy guy. And I was driving along, and I began weeping. Now, I had, I had learned one thing in, in my 28 years as on the earth, and that was that a man ain't supposed to cry. You know that one? And so I'm driving along, and I begin weeping, and I'm embarrassed. I was not only embarrassed, I was humiliated. And I thought, oh no, I'm, I'm, oh no, this is weird, this is really weird. And I was crying more and more, and I began sobbing. Walked around for a while, cussing and kicking the cactus, and trying to get a hold of myself. And I think it grows more dramatic with the telling, but I, at one point... <laughs> you weren't there, were you? <laughs> at one point... I, I stopped and I looked up at the heavens and for the first time in my life I saw the stars and constellations as, as something emanating from someone. And I remember standing there I was sort of awestruck and I said, Oh God, if you're there, help me. And I wept for a couple moments and then all of a sudden this deep shame come in, came over me. I thought, Oh no. Oh no. Now you've, oh, you've really done it. Now you're talking to the dark. You've gone over the edge. Uh, well, the only thing left is I'll go commit myself into the hospital. But then I remembered that part about my mother in the underwear, and so I thought, well, I'd better go by the, the hotel and change before I go to the hospital. <laughs> you know that part? From that high, I've been learning that one. And so... <laughs> And so I went on, uh, I went by the hotel, and when I walked in the hotel, besides that, I had some drugs that I thought I'd better put away in case I was in that, ho in that hospital very long. And so I went, I went by the hotel, and when I walked in the hotel uh, lobby, the night clerk yelled at me and said, Hey, John, there's a message here from your wife. And I said, From my wife? It can't be from my wife. I mean, my wife wouldn't even talk to me anymore. I mean, it can't be from my wife. And he said, Yeah. I said, Call this number. So I went over to the lobby phone and I dialed it and sure enough, my wife answered the phone. I said, well, what do you want? And she said, well, I've been thinking it over. And she says, I've decided to give it one more try. Come and get me. And when she said that, it was like a blow to my chest. I fell back against the wall and I thought, wow, I'm in touch with the supernatural. <laughs> because I realized suddenly that, I had, uh, that there was a connection between that, oh God, if you're there, help me. And my wife responded, and I said, when did, when did you do this? When did you decide this? She said, about a half an hour ago. And I thought, ah! <laughs> you know, I got her, you know. And so I said, well, I'll be right there. Now, I was in Las Vegas, and we lived down by Newport Beach, Fountain Valley, actually, in those days. And I got in the car, and I drove there in three and a half hours. Now, for those of you that are not from Southern California, you don't know how hard that is to do. But I drove fast. Anyway, I remember I... <laughs> I got in the car and I'm driving along and I'm, ex I'm excited and, I'm, and, I'm, and I, I said my second prayer. My first prayer was, oh God, help me. And now I said, a baby God, you know. <laughs> <And> I, 
you know. You really got her that time, you know. Because I had been trying to get my wife to, to straighten up for a year, you know. And I, and I couldn't get her straightened out. And so I'm driving along and I, and I started talking to him. I figured, well, you know, I'm on a roll. So I started talking to him about everything. You know, how about this and how about that? Why don't you do this? And, and you know, and I, was, I thought I might as well, now that I got plugged in, I might as well just talk about it all. So I get home. Now you've got to understand that this had been a really bad year. And I'd gone through a, a very difficult time. I was drinking very heavily and I was using drugs and I was working very long hours and sleeping two and three hours a day. And I was in... I was yellow from smoke. I smoked five packs of cigarettes a day. You know, my nostrils, I was, I mean, you just, and, and I was skinny. I weighed 150 pounds. And for me, that's skinny, super skinny. I probably was in better condition then than I am now. Anyway. <laughs> and so I appear at the door and there's my wife. And she's got the kids all bundled up and everything's ready. And we stuff them in the car and we're backing out of the driveway. And I turned to her and I said, I'm in touch with the supernatural. <laughs> and I can still remember she went, who? <laughs> her hands sort of fluttered to her breath. And I said, God. She said, oh, well, everyone knows God. And I said, not me. I've been talking to him. She said, well, that's called prayer. Don't you know about praying? I said, no. And suddenly she became a religious expert. <laughs> And for the next hour, we talked about God. You know, we'd never really talked about God before. We'd been married seven years, and we'd never talked about God. And she told me all kinds of things about God. She told me about Mary, and she told me about the catechism, and she told me about the... Oh, she told me God had a book out. And I said, I said, no kidding. I said, what's it called? She said, it's called the Bible. I said, God wrote that book? And she said, yes, that's God's book. He wrote that book. I said, well, when did he do that? She said, oh, a long time ago. I said, no kidding. I said, have you ever read it? And she said, yeah, I've read it. I said, all of it? And she said, well, I've read lots of it. I said, no kidding. I said, well, where do you get a book like that? And she said, oh, you can buy them in the stores. I said, I never saw any in the stores. Well, she said, you've been going in the wrong stores. She said... You can get one. And so that day, I got, I got back to Las Vegas that afternoon, and I put my family in. We uh, rented a condominium. I put my family in there, and I decided to go down and buy a, book, a Bible. Now, the problem was the only places I shopped was like the casino stores and things like that. And it's not easy to buy a Bible in Las Vegas in the casino stores. And so I went to several of them, and uh, finally this one lady says, you're not going to find a Bible here. And I said, you know, I'm beginning to believe that. I said, where would you go if you wanted a Bible? She said, go across the street. And she said, uh, there's a book rack, and on the book rack, there's a Bible. Now, my wife had been very careful to describe to me what Bibles look like. She says they're black, and it says Holy Bible on the side of them, or on the back of them. And uh, I said, is it black? I didn't want anybody to put anything over me, you know. I, I said, is it black? She said, well, I don't think so. I said, well, then it can't be a Bible. And she said, I think it's a Bible. Go on over there. So I went over to the drugstore, and sure enough, on the... I asked the clerk, and she, she went over, and she got this green book. It was paperback, and she took it down, and it said, New Testament, New English New Testament. And I said, that's not a Bible. And she said, yeah, it's a Bible. It's half a Bible. And I said, it's half a Bible? I said, what do you mean it's half a... This thing was getting complicated, you know? I said, what do you mean it's half a Bible? And she said, it's half a Bible. I said... You sell it for half price? And she said, no, but 
Take it, you'll like it. Well, I found out later you can't get saved reading that translation. <laughs> and I told the guy, Shh, God doesn't know that because that's the one I read. And it worked for me, you know. Well, anyway, I got the book home and I started reading it. You ever read that book? That's a weird book. It's all about Jewish people. I started reading. I read about seven or eight pages and I went into my wife and I said, this is all about Jewish people. And she said, well, I know that. She said, God's Jewish. <laughs> I said, I said, oh, come on. Is he really? You know, now, keep in mind, I didn't have any prejudice about Jews because I had worked with Jewish people all my life. I'd been in the entertainment industry, in the garment industry before that, and, and uh, you know, and all through show business and record industry. Every place I worked, I worked with Jewish people. It wasn't any antagonism towards them being Jew. That was just news to me that God was a Jew. I didn't know, you know. And so we tried to read the book. Well, uh, uh, I started taking it with me to work. Now, when I went to work at night, we, we worked the midnight shift from midnight till four, and we would do a show, and then we would have an intermission while another group did a show, and then we would go back. We were a lounge act. And so during the intermissions, I was taking my Bible, and I was going in and sitting down at the bar, and, and uh, they had these little spin lights, you know, over the bar, and I was, I was sitting there reading one night. And a bartender came over and said, what you reading? And I said, the Bible. And he said, you shouldn't read it here. And I said, why not? The light's good. And he says, no. Nah. He says, you shouldn't read it. It's beside. I said, he says, that's not the real Bible anyway. And I, I slammed it down. I said, I knew it. I said, what's the real Bible like? And he says, well, they're black. And I thought, all right. You know, this guy knows. He knows what it is. And I said, and it says Holy Bible on it. And he says, yes. And, he, and I said, well, where do you get them? He says, well, you buy them at the Bible bookstore, dummy. <laughs> I said, the Bible bookstore? And he said, yeah. He says, there's one down the street. And so I went right into the lobby and looked up in the yellow pages. And sure enough, right down the street, there was a Bible bookstore. So I got in my car and drove down there, and it was closed. <laughs> missing a lot of business clothes. You know, the sinners are out at that time of night. And so I, I went back to him and I said, they're, they're closed. He said, well, he says, you can get it in the morning. And he, and he wrote a note down. He said, just give him this note and you'll get the real true Bible. And so the next morning, I waited down there. I got off the a shift at four o'clock, went down there and parked and waited. And about 8.30, this woman came and opened the door and I followed her in. She was a nice lady. And I said, I want to buy a Bible. And she says, oh, good. And then I found out there's all kinds of Bibles, you know, lots of Bibles. You've got big Bibles and little Bibles. And she said, what kind of Bible do you want? I said, I don't know. And I pulled this note out and I handed it to her. And on it, it said, the King James Virgin. You know? <laughs> and we just drive around and talk about it, you know, and read the book and talk and talk and talk about all the things we were learning. We were super excited. Weeks went by. We didn't understand all the issues. I didn't know that the... the what the Bible was. I didn't know who the Jesus was. I didn't know what he had done. And it took weeks to get the... I mean, you just don't understand. I didn't have any grasp of it. It wasn't simple for me. It was very complex, all of these things. And over a period of weeks, the Son of God, he died for sins. I, people have sinned. I understood that. It made sense. I didn't think I had sinned, but I understood that others had. <laughs> and so one night, we're all talking on this thing, and all of a sudden, my wife says, I think it's time to do something about this. And the guy closed his Bible, you know, real clear. And I thought, oh no. And he says, so do I. And my wife and he are talking, and I'm watching him. And the next thing I know, she's kneeling on the floor and talking to the plaster. 
And she's saying, oh, God, I'm heartily sorry for my sins. I thought, well, what'd she do? Because she was a good guy, you know. I mean, I knew her. I'd known her real well. I thought she was a pretty good guy, you know. Not as good as I was, but a good guy. And so she's talking, and I'm thinking, this is really strange. You know, she's doing this thing that they've all done. And I, and I said, one, two, three, wait a minute. And I'd been on a few stages in my life, and I knew it was about time for me to do my turn. When she finished, it was my turn. And I was, I sat there and I thought, oh, no. Ha, 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 ha. They're not going to get, no, I'm not going to do this. And I remember I was sitting there and I was in a captain's chair, and I had a hold of both handles, you know. <laughs> They're not going to drag me out of this chair, you know. And I'm sitting there, and the next thing I know, I'm on my knees. Now, I don't know, to, to save my life, I don't know whether I got out of the chair or was shoved. I know theologically that that's very important, but I've never been able to figure it out. <laughs> All I know was the next thing, I was on my knees and I was trying to pray this prayer of repentance they kept talking about. But I couldn't pray. All I could do was go, oh, 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 for hours. I, it seemed like hours, at least a half hour. My nose is running. It's all over my chest, you know. My eyes are swelling shut. I'm sobbing. My body. I'm realizing that I'm making an utter fool of myself. And I thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. How will I explain this, you know, if this thing doesn't connect? And so the next thing I know, I'm ha I have a, a, a recollection. Years before, I'd gotten in, into a situation where I was out of money, came back to Los Angeles, this is when I was a traveling musician, and I needed some money, and I had a friend that did drugs. And he sold them, he was a connection, and he sold them in Pershing Square, you know, a great downtown. If you haven't been there, uh, the, you missed it. You had to be there. You had to visit it once to understand it. Pershing Square is a notorious park in the center of... Uh, Los Angeles. And so I went down there to find my friend who I knew would have some money because drug dealers always have money. And I, and I needed some money. I wanted to borrow some money from him. And uh, while I was waiting for him, it was kind of a miserable day, kind of rainy and everything. And I was waiting for him to come. And here comes this guy walking along. And he's got one of these signs, like an Eat at Joe's type of sign, you know, front and back. And on the front it said, I am a fool for Christ. And on the back it said, whose fool are you? Well, when I saw it at the time, I thought, oh, weird religious weirdo, you know, he went by. But here I am, all these years later, I'm kneeling on my friend's living room floor, I'm sobbing, I'm suddenly realized that I'm making a complete fool of myself, and I, and I remember that thing. I thought, that's it. That's it. I'm going to be his fool. That's it. And I resolved in my heart at that moment that from that point out, I was going to do the foolish thing in the eyes of the world. I didn't know it was going to be the foolish thing in the eyes of the church, too. <laughs> you enjoy that? I've got to preach off the back of him. I mean, it's just doing uh, yeah. Well, hopefully I gave you an insight into just John's story. I mean, he became so passionate, so enthused that he brought hundreds to Christ uh, over the next decade. And... Uh, and his experience um, just of Jesus' mercy and compassion for himself really drove him to produce an environment in church that where anyone was welcome. And there's a famous story. He was in a Quaker church initially, and uh, he kept bringing all these people to church. Um, and uh, after a few months, um, 
a lady went up to him and said, uh, you've ruined my church. And he said, what, what, what was I supposed to do? And, uh, and that sort of desire to, to, to bring people to Christ and to let people encounter the mercy that he'd encountered is a real underlying um, value in the life of the Vineyard Church. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's John. And um, John also was, was passionate about seeking God in intimate ways in worship uh, and also through ministry. Uh, really desperate that people would encounter uh, the life um, of Jesus. Because in the middle of that clip I cut out, he goes to church and his experience of church is absolutely hilarious. And he comes out and says, I gave up drugs for this. Uh, and, and that was his experience. And he said to the church, when do we get to do the stuff? And they said, well, what stuff? And he said, well, the stuff in the Bible. They said, oh, we don't do that stuff. Uh, and, and so not having the religious upbringing meant he was really ripe for God to use him to usher in a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And um, since that early 1975 inception of the vineyard, the vineyard then went on to have a profound effect uh, globally in terms of the renewal of the church, bringing worship and a fresh expectation of healing ministry into the life of the church. Um, there's now 2,400 vineyard churches across the world, so uh, many churches being planted. Um, and what the vineyard seeks to do, there's a book written uh, a number of years ago to try to encapsulate what vineyard was about. It's called The Quest for the Radical Middle. And what Wimber was passionate about was, was the, the evangelical traditions of, of uh, biblical-based theology and teaching with, coupled with Pentecostal power, the expectation that God could come and do things and change things. And, and that was his passion, to bring those two. And in fact, Wigglesworth had prophesied uh, at the turn of the century, the last century, uh, when the Word and the Spirit come together, that will kind of signify a new move of God. And, and that was the quest that John had, was to find that radical middle to hold the Word of God and the power of God and bring those two together. And, and that was always his passion. So the, the current vision statement for the vineyard is this. Vineyard churches UK and Ireland exist to be a part of advancing the kingdom of God to the work of local vineyard churches who communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in all they do. And so you could summarise that down to this. Extending God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. And so there's a passion in this family that's called the vineyard to bring and extend God's kingdom and help people have that encounter, that authentic encounter of Christ's love and his power. If you were to visit a vineyard church, you'd find them all different. There's not sort of a vineyard cookie cutter that produces them all the same. They're all different, but they carry the same <coughs> core values. They carry the same core DNA. They'll express themselves differently in their locality or their geography or their culture, but they'll carry the same uh, core DNA. And you'll find this desire to connect with God authentically, to experience his power, his intimate connection in worship, and also an expectation that he will come and minister. And also you'll probably see them working in their community and doing things that involve compassion and outreach. I thought today we could quickly whiz through some of the, um, the core values. I know we haven't got a huge amount of time, but um, we'll quickly whiz through these. So the word of God is central to, to vineyards, a, a strong sense in understanding and applying the word of God to daily lives. That's really a centrality uh, of the vineyard. Believe that scriptures God breathed and it's as useful today as it ever was in terms of applying it and living by it. It's the manual for life. Kingdom of God, we've talked a little bit about this really, but that sense that God's kingdom is breaking in, his rule and reign, that's how you define God's kingdom, his rule and reign upon the earth. And so when we pray that prayer, let your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a sense we want God's kingdom and fullness to break in and extend 
and the belief that the church is a mechanism for that to happen, the advancement of God's kingdom and that transformation work. Worship, incredibly high value on worship because there's an expectation that we will meet God in worship. We're not just here to sing songs. The songs are the vehicle that connect us into the heart of God. And as we meet with God, he changes us, he warms our hearts, he transforms us. But also worship is a daily life thing. We bring worship into our workplace, into our homes, uh, into our friendships, into our relationships. And most of the big acts of worship in the Bible don't have any music associated with them. When Abraham offered Isaac up to God as, as a faith offering, there wasn't a band playing off to the side. That was one of the most significant acts of worship you'll read in Scripture. And so sometimes we confuse worship as being music, but worship isn't music. Worship is the way that we devote ourselves to God. You'll find compassion is a core value in Vineyard, a desire to reach out and help the vulnerable and the needy, um, to really be there for, for them. And that links into, into the worship. We, we believe as we come into God's presence, he softens our hearts and he puts his heart on our heart. And we want to support and love and help those around us. And you'll find vineyards uh, are involved in all sorts of different projects, fighting injusti- injustice and being advocates for different people and different groups. Wimber also talked about the church in different ways. He said the church is home. The sh- church should be a place of real relationships and, and support and love because relationships are the key things that hold the church together. And the church is home. The church is the place where we serve and encourage and love and support one another in this kingdom business. And so... The church very much is, is home. The church is hospital. The church is a place where we receive healing and recovery, depending on what we're going through in our lives at different times. The church is hospital and a place of support. The church is a learning environment. So the church is, is a bit like school. It's a place where we actually come and we continue to grow. No matter where we are in our walk, we still want to continue to grow and mature uh, as followers of Jesus. The church is an army. We're called and equipped to go out and basically make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. And so we're the people who go out and serve God in our places and spaces. And so the church is an army. We're committed to hard work and we're committed to each other and bringing about the the kingdom of God. Church unity is an incredibly important value for vineyards. You'll find them working with other churches across church streams. We've come back from the... um, the Vineyard Conference a couple of weeks ago and there was uh, multiple streams represented. In fact, most of the speakers were there were from other streams other than the Vineyard because we believe there's so much more in the wider body of Christ (coughs) to enrich us and we can enrich them. One of the key ways that Vineyard enriched the church over the years is through worship uh, and Holy Spirit renewal and that's what we'll continue to try and do. And church planting, you know, to go from one church in 1975 to 2,400 now, you have to plant some churches uh, and that whole language literally means taking a, something that's healthy from the whole and then pl- basically planting that into a new space, a new geography, and let that thing take root and become uh, self-supporting. And so churches have been planted and multiplied out from the vineyard over and over and over again. In fact, while we are in Birmingham, we planted 10 churches out of Birmingham Vineyard uh, into various places across the country. And that means that we're always looking to raise up and multiply leaders and release people into ministry. It's not about getting all the bright lights in one room. It's about equipping people and, and sending them out and, and extending the kingdom. And it's all under the authority of Jesus. He's, he's the head. He's the one we look to. He's our aim, our model, our focus. He gives us our goal. He gives us our steer. And uh, when we put all that together in what he called the vineyard man back in the day, but it's the vineyard person there because it's... You know. uh, so, so you can see, um, so basically standing on the kingdom of God and the word of God 
and then these two legs of worship and compassion, and then the main body, the, the hospital, uh, the learning environment, the army, the school, and then these, these two arms that reach out uh, of church development and church planting with Jesus being the head. And that's a great way to kind of imbibe and understand these core values that exist across the diversity that is the vineyard, but these, this is the DNA uh, with which we, uh, we seek to, uh, to come together. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore more about what the vineyard distinctives are, and hopefully as we do that, uh, you can journey with us. It's a great time to think and reflect and ask questions, and I know for some of you, um, to become part of something bigger can be a bit unnerving, can be a bit, um, you know, we've never done that. What does it mean to join a bigger family? Well, I only want to encourage you, I think this is going to be a great thing for us to do because I think to be part of a bigger family means that the resourcing and the, uh, the synergy that we have as we're connected to a, a wider network, I think can only benefit us. It's only ever benefited us, and I think um, hopefully the guys who went with us a couple of weeks ago were exposed to um, the, the broader church family. They're nice, aren't they? They're all right, they're smiley. Um, but there's a, there's a commonality there of, of passion to see God, God's kingdom come. Uh, and to be pragmatic about that, to be culturally relevant, to be contemporary, to be uh, creative. Um, and I think those are some of the things that we've seen uh, through the vineyard. And hopefully, by hearing John today, you get a sense of where this thing came from and what God was... God just took a man who was so far away from church to basically breathe fresh life into the church. And that really excites me. Because I'd love to see more people like John. Wouldn't you? I came from a completely non-religious background myself. No church experience. God got a hold of me. And basically, God wants to get a hold of so many more people like that. Because the church isn't going to grow by just shuffling the deck. There's not enough of us left. We need people to come to Christ in powerful ways, just like John do, young and old. Because that's where God is now moving. Uh, And so... That's what we need to pray for, don't we? Let's stop. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.